Are you in the market for top-notch digital equipment such as mills, scanners, or furnaces? Well, God, time is now. Ivaclar has introduced unbeatable rates exclusively for customers in North America. Ivaclar has made it easy for you to invest in cutting-edge digital equipment with Ready for this? Lower than prime interest rates. I think that's no pun intended, but whether you're looking to upgrade your milling capabilities, enhance your scanning technology, or optimize your furnace performance, Ivaclar Digital has you covered. To take advantage of this offer, the dedicated digital specialists at Ivaclar are ready to assist you. For details on how to get in touch, visit VoicesFromTheBench.com and select the Ivaclar tab to find all the information you need to get started. And as always, we appreciate your sponsorship of the podcast, Ivaclar. Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Greetings and welcome to episode 295 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. 95, you said that with a little bit of hope. You know, we're at this point where we're getting close to a big number of 300. I'm always kind of surprised when it's like 294 or 295. I don't know why. I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I get excited. Lots of years. Yeah. yeah, I do too. It's a milestone. Sure enough. <laughs> and we still get along. Clearly. So, hey, this is a big Thanksgiving week. You got big plans? Uh, Just eating and cooking. Yeah. And running. Yeah. What about you? About the same. We're keeping it low key, but it's nice. We don't do anything yeah. too crazy, but is the lab closed on Friday or do you have to work? Yes, we are closed. And I think if I can, if I can manage, which is why I'm so stressed to to possibly get enough done Monday and Tuesday to take Wednesday off, I'm going to try. But I'll probably go in Sunday just oh. to try to keep up with the volume. So, yeah. yeah. So you're going to work on the weekend to get a weekday off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I'm sure all of our listeners out there know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like the definition of crazy. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's the definition of being a dental technician during the holidays. That's true. I was designing a denture last night at 10 o'clock at night. Yep. So, yeah, you know. yeah, not what I really wanted to do, but had to be done. Yep. That's pretty awesome, though. So tell me, we've talked to people in the sales for Lexar. Lauren Crow, who did or used to run the sales at night, right? Lexar. So, how big is your sales force? Uh, there's about thirty of them now, I think. Thirty. Yeah. But you're talking six different laboratories, all you know, in the United States, and so yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of them. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, Derby, I'm one of six. Six is a good number. That's my favorite number. There you go. There you go. Yeah, we got. Two in Kentucky, two in Ohio, and one in Indiana. So I guess that's only five I cannot add. <laughs> I could be wrong, Elvis. There might be less, but yeah. there's, there's quite a few, and I don't know even half of them. So, But do you do any sales at all at night? Me personally? Yeah, or when you just talk to offices, do you ever try oh to upsell or anything? I upsell my ass off. You... I talk to clients all day. They text me, and then, you know, freaking when I'm in the shower in the morning, my phone starts texting and... <laughs> Well, it's like nonstop. So no, I don't physically sell, but I do grab cases that look like they'd be great cases for an upsell and I call them and we discuss it and I'm pretty successful with that, but I had so much damn work. I don't need to upsell right now. Yeah. You'd probably be doing yourself a disservice if you got more work in front of you. Yeah. It's a problem to have, a good problem to have, but yeah. So no, not really. Yeah. I don't consider myself a salesperson. But you still play a role in sales. And I wanted to bring that up for a purpose because this week's guest has a lot to do with sales. And I think it's good for everyone and not just salespeople. Because I think every time we're on the phone with a dentist or oh, a, yeah. a staff member, in the back of our mind, we should always be looking at growth and what else we can get and how much more we can do. 
I can tell you from my personal experience, that's always on my mind. I always really want to make a really good impression. I really care about my CAC lab, which is the high aesthetic lab. I always want to, you know, the reputation to be excellent customer service, even better, beautiful products. And so, yeah, it's always on my mind. I, I really, really try to do a good job dealing with clients. Yeah. And I think it should be almost on every technician's mind. Oh, yeah. Not just doing good work, but making sure you get more good work. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But even though my role at Derby, I basically get to be a chairside technician all day long, you know, helping dentists and staff be successful, you know, that kind of thing. And I love doing that. Absolutely love it. But on the flip side, I also have the challenge of bringing in new dentists and getting them to start sending work to Derby. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Juggle. Yeah, there's a lot of rejection. Yeah. I spent a lot of time walking into an office, giving the old Elvis smile. Hey, how you doing? And then they're like, give me the look. Like, what do you want? You got to bring them donuts or chocolate. I'm terrible I'm... about that. Yeah, they like food. I know. I need to be better at that. <laughs> but I mean, getting offices to try your lab has always been an ongoing struggle in this industry. I'm sure for almost every lab. Oh, yeah. But this oh, yeah. week... I, because I don't know what the I hell know. you were doing. I was working. Probably doing all the work <laughs> that you got. Yeah. I got to have yeah. a conversation with a gentleman that says he can bring in more clients to your lab and increase your profitability. David Lesh grew up in a lab. His dad started a fixed lab in his basement. So he knows, he knows labs. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eventually, the family lab grew and David started working basically in every seat in that lab. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. (laughs) Seeing the need, David opened Dale Dental. This is kind of cool. It was the first lab exclusively to do work for other labs. I remember. Do you? Yeah, we were a client. No kidding. I never even heard of it until he talked about it. After a stint of owning another lab, David decided to help others in the industry grow and succeed so he started eight and nine consulting. Is that like eight and nine, like centrals? Yes. Really? Yeah. It was, okay. a, it was yeah, I didn't get it because I asked him, I was like, what is eight and nine? He's like, <laughs> dude, the two front teeth. I was like, son of a. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> it's really kind of clever. Yeah. We had a great conversation about putting together sales plans, hiring salespeople, and we got to use terms like gross margin, CRM, and what really started to hit home with me, solution-based sales. You won't need to be a salesperson to get some great nuggets from David that will be sure to help you and your lab succeed. So join us as we chat with David Lesh. Whether you're looking to elevate your craftsmanship we're looking to cut back on cost, look no further. Vita MFT teeth are the ultimate solution for creating lifelike and stunning smiles. Crafted with precision and backed by cutting edge technology, Vita MFT teeth offer unparalleled aesthetics and durability. And since Vita believes in the power of experiencing excellence firsthand, For a limited time only, they are offering you the chance to get a complimentary case sample. That's right, a full case absolutely free. Just visit VitaNorthAmerica.com forward slash free MFT. Don't wait any longer to start providing your customers a premium tooth at an economy price. Redeem your free case sample and if you're ready to buy, Vita will even give you an extra 10% off discount by shopping online on their newly launched online store. Join the Vita family today, and we appreciate your support of the podcast. GC Initial Lisi Press is the first lithium to silicate ceramic ingot with high density, big word coming up, Micronization, or for short, HDM. Which is a technology unique to GC that provides exceptional physical properties and the most natural lifelike aesthetics. HDM uses equally dispersed lithium to silicate microcrystals to fill 
the entire glass matrix rather than using traditional larger size crystals that do not take advantage of the matrix structure. The result is the ultimate combination of strength and aesthetics, making GC Initial Lisi Press perfectly suitable for all types of restorations through all levels of transparency. Most importantly, HDM technology helps ensure the product remains extremely stable without distortion or drop in value, even after multiple firings. Because if you got the shade right the first time, you wouldn't have to fire it again. And so for more information, call GC America at 800-323-0763 or visit gcamerica.com. And we always appreciate your support of the podcast, GC America. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. It's the lab business. <laughs> it sure is. We'd like to welcome to the podcast today a gentleman who says he can help me at my role at Derby. By bringing in new business, we got David Lesh from 8-9 Consulting. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How did we connect? Did you reach out to us? You know, I really don't recall. But I don't it either. Was, uh, Welcome to our It was our more world. recently than it should have been. I feel like it should have been a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So this is interesting. I'm, I'm kind of checking out what you do. And it sounds like, and please, we're going to get into this, so don't berate me too much if I get this wrong, but mm -hmm. you get into labs. And you help them grow and get business, but at the same time working on their workflow? Yeah, so I started the financials. I mean, a lot of times labs, they want to grow. Yeah. Um, so there's two components. There's growth, obviously sales, and then there's profitability, right? Mm -hmm. So we start with growth, and then we look at the financials, and we work to improve the profitability. So it's a multi-prong uh, approach. I mean, then then sometimes a lab wants specific things but generally growth that isn't profitable doesn't really help right sure. so if somebody yeah. just wants to grow i try to encourage them to also look at profitability all right so sounds like we got a lot to dive in here so okay. let's start by talking about your background how did so, you even find out about the lab do you have a lab background i do yeah so i actually grew up in it so my oh, dad nice. started yeah my dad started his lab in the basement of our house from the time i was I guess uh, the earliest I can remember five or so. And I remember if I ever wanted to see my dad, I had to go down into the basement, pull up a chair and watch him at the bench making teeth. Was he like fixed or removable? Yeah, or? all fixed. He was yeah. fixed. Yeah. But I joke, I said, you know, I'd yell downstairs, good morning before I went to school. And then I yelled downstairs, good night. Oh, at geez. the end of the day. And if, I don't know that he ever came up in between. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> And then I went on, you know, obviously, you know, he grew the lab and I worked for him for a bit. And uh, as a technician, I sat in every seat at the bench. So he but, took it out of the house at one point? Oh, yeah. yeah he yeah. grew it to about maybe 15 or so people. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good size. Yeah. And you eventually started working there. I loved it. So I always loved two things. I loved business. I always loved business. Mm-hmm. I remember for my sixth birthday, I wanted a subscription to Business Week magazine. So I was always interested in business and the economics and the mechanics of how businesses worked. And then I started working for my dad uh, as I got older, and I sat in every seat, including the driver's seat. So oh, I would really? literally do deliveries. Yeah, I did deliveries, and then you know he started teaching me the lab piece, and I sat in every seat as a technician. I learned the old school to knock away, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with the number six buildup brush. And if I put a crown in the oven and it came down and it needed more than a little bit of finishing, like barely any, I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> How harsh was your dad on training you? Was he good at training you? Was he pretty hard? I mean, he was good, but, you know, he was a perfectionist. I remember he really spent, I learned every seat, but I remember he really wanted me to be good in ceramics because, I mean, I'm going back 30 years. 30 plus years but that was the sexy thing back mm -hmm. then. yeah and you know he wanted me to be good at that and uh like i said i learned the tanaka style which was back then it was the ultimate and you know you're building up everything in a lot of layers and blotting and all these things and sure you know you, you didn't do any pressing back then or at least not really not to speak of so yeah he was pretty hard you know like i said when it came out if it needed more than touching the contacts barely 
you know, he wanted it built to a finish. Yeah. So a little surface finish, standing glaze, and perfect. That's what he liked to see. Yeah. And how long did you actually sit at a bench for? Ten years. Ten years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, you know, it's nice. You you get in, you start your day, you know what you have to do. And when those crowns are done, you're done. So yeah, as as I started before we recorded my uh, putting out some fires, <laughs> not every day right. is that smooth. <laughs> well, that's that's when you move into managing and owning. That's not about being a technician, right? That's as true. a pure technician, when you finish your crowns, you go home. Yeah, and uh, and you know the I loved it. I mean, I sit there and I focus, and it's funny because I worked for him for about ten years. Then I went on to do sales and marketing and other things for other companies. And start my own companies, and I never ever sat at a bench ever again since the time I was maybe 25. Uh, no, I guess it was about 27. Yeah. And so, what's funny is um, when I had my first company that I started, Dale Dental, you know, I'd keep a, a little set of, of brushes in my top drawer. And every once in a while, I'd go back in the lab just to remind them that, you know, I'm not just the guy on the carpet. Like, I can sit there and build up with the rest of you and I say, let's go. Who wants to take me on? throw me a unit and it's amazing it's like riding a bike i could still look a brush after 10 years of not touching it i can still look a brush oh yeah i can still look a brush i can build something to a finish remarkably perhaps surprisingly well how often do you touch the brush uh i'd say i I get the itch maybe every 10 or so years it's probably been 15 (laughs) years but i (laughs) i always kept a brush set in my uh like i said in my top drawer at work sure and I think the important thing is that the people that I work with wasn't that I did it. They all knew that I could. Yeah. That's right? the important part. Sure. They all knew that I could do it. Like, okay, Dave knows. Don't Be careful what you say. He, he knows the truth. Right? You know, he knows what is. And, but I loved it. It's it's fun. So, uh, yeah, it's not very often. In fact, I'm due. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say you're five years past. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've got to find that brush set. I don't know where it is. <laughs> but um yeah, you reminded me now. <laughs> so you started Dale Dental. Talk about that. What is that? So I love Dale Dental. Dale Dental was it's funny because LMT did an article about how I started that, but Dale Dental started in January two thousand as the world's first dental lab exclusively for other labs. So we never had a dentist customer. Really? That was the first? Yeah. God, it seems that like there's the all first. sorts well, of centers. Well, Mark and... Jackson and a lot of other people beat me too. You know, they were doing outsourcing for other labs, but there was no one that was exclusive for other labs. We literally oh, I see. had no dentist customers at all. We wouldn't take them. You know, they'd call us, but we wouldn't take a dentist. And the reason I did it was I was working for my dad and it was around the time that Empress came out. Mm-hmm. And back then everything was PFM. Yeah, you know, sure. Maybe a little bit of, if anyone remembers Sunrise Crowns and CapTech and stuff like that. Interestingly, I was in the first training class for CapTech in the United States when I was about 20 years old. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, we've talked um, to those people a few times. Yeah, they're great, great, great group. So I was working for my dad when Empress came out, and I remembered, you know, it started to gain in popularity, and doctors started asking for it, mm-hmm. but we didn't do it. And I said to my dad, you know, why don't I find a lab? that can make it for us. And then, you know, we won't have them do the stain and glaze. We'll do that. So it still has kind of our signature on it. And my dad was just really, he was kind of against it, but he wanted to give me a little bit of freedom to to try that. And I found a lab that would do it for us. We drove three hours to meet the owner halfway and check. Because back then, it was, there might have been 20 labs that had Empress. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 100, I don't know. And, you know, we started outsourcing to this guy, but because we weren't his only customer a we didn't get the best technicians we weren't his highest priority and b whenever they got busy whose work do you think got pushed to the back (laughs) shelf yeah sure so it wasn't long until we started having problems with on time performance or quality or consistency and i remember one of our doctors i remember it well he was up in the lab one day he said, look, you know, I know you guys don't do it here. And, we're, you know, just tell me who it is because I'm having a lot of problems with the on time and the consistency. And so what are you supposed to do? And so we told him who we get it from. And he wound up taking all of his work there. So, you know, that hurt. And my dad yeah, yeah. wasn't very happy with me. So that was when I had the idea. I said, you know, one day I want to start a lab that can help people like my dad offer everything they want to their doctors 
without having to have this fear of it being a competitive entity and where my dad and people like him, where their work is the focus, right? It's the only thing they do. It's their priorities. So that was when I had the idea for Dell Dental, but you know, I didn't really start it until about, I took a job. I, I left my dad's lab to go uh, to Boston, took a job up there as vice president of sales and marketing for what was at the time a very big lab. I might still be. And then, and then I moved to Dallas. So between the time I had the idea until the time I started in 2000, might've been another six or seven years. In fact, it was Procera that gave me kind of the idea to get it moving. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Here's back then it was Mike Gerard going mm-hmm. door to door talking about the mod 30, I think mod 40. And so I was like, wait a minute, that might be a great product to start this outsourcing lab idea that I had with. And I remember I was in one of Noble Biocare's first U.S. training classes when I was starting Dell Dental. And they laughed at the idea. Some of the, not laughed, I mean, but they're like, you're going to do a, have a lab that only works with labs, no dentist customers. And Ivoclar, Wayne Ledford was running Ivoclar. He came to the first house I had in Dallas to tell me about Empress because I was going to have that as one of my first products. So Empress, Procera, and Vita's. Uh, electroforming unit. I think it was called Helioform. Those were the first three products. You just offered those to labs that couldn't take it on because they weren't, you know, big enough or? Yeah. I mean, don't forget back then, I'm going back in in 2000, really the most expensive technology out there was Procera. And I think it was probably about a $30,000 entry point. Empress was maybe $25,000, I don't recall. But, Mm. you know, for most labs, they weren't making capital you know, the biggest capital expenditure they made was a, a, a model trimmer. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, there wasn't casting well. <laughs> yeah, casting well. There weren't a lot of, you know, they weren't familiar with the world of buying equipment. And mm-hmm. and they certainly didn't have enough demand. I mean, PFM back in 2000 was still probably 90 plus percent of the business, maybe around there. Well, you still had people that could wax a bar. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Wax an abutment. <laughs> You know, it stayed that way for a little while, but so back then in 2000, labs didn't want to buy the equipment. They didn't have enough business to do it. They were doing, you know, this lab did two Proceras a week, right? This one did, mm-hmm. you couldn't use it for anything other than a single unit, if you recall, you know, and they weren't zirconia. Originally they were alumina, right? Yep. Yep. So, you know, they really only had the strength for kind of, you know, anterior units and then. Procera came out with the where you fuse the pontic in between, but it's primitive compared to today. Sure. So yeah, but that's how we did it. And then every time new technology would come out, we're always the first to have it. So I remember I think Circon was next. Then there were a bunch of others. And by the time, by the by 2016, I guess 15 maybe, we were doing SLM, selective laser melting with the Ineos machines that were a million dollars. So in 2013? Well, wait a minute. Actually, I'm thinking about the timeline. I remember we had, you're not going to believe this, 3D systems. We had a 3D systems resin printer when Cinevad was selling them, if you recall that. I don't, no. I think we got our first resin printer in 2005. Wow. 3D systems resin printer in 2005. I bet you it was big, slow, and inaccurate. (laughs) Yeah, and it broke all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you what's funny about that. I quickly realized because back then we were doing frameworks for PFM. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was, you know, I remember telling the lab manager, I said, you know, the problem is when this machine breaks or, you know, no matter how many you have, they were breaking all the time. I said, when this machine breaks, we don't just have 20 technicians to now do that work because this machine is down, right? Like when this machine goes down, You're down. it isn't like when the other machines go down where, I have a technician make a zirconia crown. No, you know, this is something a technician can make. So the instinct is, well, the machine is down. And back then they, that machine was big. It was half the size of a refrigerator. Yeah. And so they couldn't just overnight you one like they would do with Procera. And it'd be down for two weeks. Oh, oh yeah. And no matter how many you had back then, they were just always breaking. Yeah, so we started with that, and then I think we got everything in between, but I think the last thing we bought was the the laser melting machines, and I want to say that was probably, I got out of everything in 2018, so that was probably 2016 mm-hmm. that we got the laser melting. 
So, so Dale Dental was still around in 2018? Well, yeah. So I had investors. They became majority owners in 2018. I got out in 2018, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was around until then. It wasn't as much fun to me anymore. I never wanted to get into the hardware business, which was the natural evolution of what I was doing. Sure. So I would say back in around 2012, maybe, or 13, I actually went to, I think it was Denmark, to go to 3Shape, back when they had 20 people in the dental division. Yeah. And, and talk to them about being a distributor for their scanners and when that whole model was starting to take place. But it was Belgium, if I remember correctly. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I just never wanted to get into the selling of hardware. And then if you remember, people were locking it to their milling and it just never excited me. And so I got out of that in 18, but I started Concert Dental Labs in 2014. And that was not for other labs. It was a lab that was just a traditional dental lab for dentists. Yeah, you opened up a lab. Yeah. Yeah. In 2014, I opened the lab. I had investors for that. And then they... They bought everything. They bought me out by 2018 as well. What made you want to start Concert? Well, you know, we had all the technology experience from Dell Dental. Yeah. Right. And I didn't really, like I said, like the direction. I didn't want to continue with Dell Dental in the way that the industry was going with it. And I just said, all right, why don't I just try a lab? Yeah. And I actually spent about a year on the branding for that. And I'm kind of proud of it. It was uh, because I wanted a brand, you know, everyone does a brand that's like, you know, John's Dental Lab or the name of the town Dental Lab or something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always love branding. I spent about a year trying to come up with something and I came up with Concert Dental Labs and our tagline was the best seats in the house. Oh, I get, yeah, like seats at a concert or seats the crown. Yeah, the I love crown. it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, and let me tell you, it was magical. In fact, when people saw that, the old, what they used to say in advertising was it took nine impressions for people to remember you know, and build a, a brand in their mind. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And if you target correctly, it takes about 35, you know, placements to get nine. Now, that was in the old days before modern media where you're doing highly targeted stuff. But, you know, one thing about that tagline was when doctors saw it, they remembered it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I love it. Best seats in the house. Yeah. And they walk by it at trade shows and I'd see them do double takes and it stopped them. So, yeah, so I started that. And I remember we were building the website and we got the the domain name. And I remember we had a placeholder, uh, you know, like the placeholder page. Yeah. And yeah. I told the agency, I said, put up on the placeholder page. We'll be right with you. We're warming up our instruments. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it just, it all came so naturally. Right. And it was just a lot of fun. So I love that. I loved, loved doing that, but I had no choice. I mean, my investors had the right to, to ratchet up their equity and they chose to do that. So I was out, or at least I was, a very small minority by 2018. Is the lab still around? No, it got, so I sold it to these investors and then they merged it with other labs. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was like my baby. I mean, I had fun with that one. How big did it get? And, uh, man, so, you know, we grew to about 50 or so people. Oh, wow. 50, 60 people. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were at a million dollar a year run rate in probably six months. Wow. Yeah, it was, that lab was fun. I really had a good time with it. Once, you know, the objectives of it started to change. Once the investors were looking at doing different things, the objectives of what we were doing were changing. Sure, yeah. So at some point it became slow down growth, optimize for profitability, rebuild software, break out the software into another company. It was all these different Less about teeth. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it was less about kind of the the teeth and, and just, sales right it was more about okay here's what we want to do now and you know the problem is not a problem but if you have investors and the investors have a lot of different businesses it's great as long as you're the flavor of the month right yeah i I hear you yeah but anyway yeah so i did a traditional lab that works with dentists and i had a lot of fun doing that yeah where'd you go from there i was out of everything by 2018 okay i remember it was the first time out of everything I had no responsibilities in my whole life, or at least <laughs> in my whole adult life. Wow. And I remember just how the shower felt the next morning. <laughs> you know, it just, yeah. getting in the shower just felt differently. And just everything felt different. You didn't feel weird having nothing on the horizon, or you just enjoyed it? Felt incredible. It? Yeah, I incredible. bet. <laughs> I've never had I that just, feeling. <laughs> I just remember, yeah, I just remember looking at my feet in the shower and, 
like you know, you're just looking all over and you're gathering yeah. up, and I'm like, you know, I have nothing to do. <laughs> 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 I was like, I have nothing to do. Not many of I us enjoy not... that feeling. Yeah, and I just, it was just, I'll never forget it, and I loved it, and you know, but. You know, I've always been entrepreneurial, right? So, I've, mm-hmm. and I want something to do. I just don't, I mean, I want something to do. It's not like I don't want something to do. It was just the first time in my life I didn't have something to do. So I said, all right, let me kind of hang a shingle. You know, a lot of people in the industry knew my name from Dell. You know, Dell Dental grew to serve about three, uh, no, close to 5,000 labs. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, we were doing, I want to say it was, I remember 3,500 and 4,200, I think. So, you know, it was thousands of labs. And so I had spoken at Cal Lab several times and a lot of the regional conferences. So a lot of people knew of me and I'd used obviously, you know, Dale Dental. So I'm like, all right, let me kind of put a shingle on the website, you know, put a shingle out. Hey, you know, if anybody wants to talk about growing their lab or improving profitability, these are things I love to do and love to talk about it. And so... I started doing that and that was, I guess, 2019. So, and then I look up and it's been a few years and it's a little surprising. You just said to yourself, I want to take all this knowledge I've gotten from Dale and concert and just mm. help my friends in the industry. Yeah. And it's, don't forget, it's more than that. I grew up in the industry. And when I started Dale Dental, I did it to help people like my dad. Yeah. And every time I was on his stage, I'd look out in the audience whether it was Caleb or whatever it was, and everybody looked like my dad. Like everybody <laughs> yeah. looked like, you know, like I knew what they went home to. I knew what their day looked like. I knew what dinner was like. I knew yeah. what their day was. And, you know, I really just felt like, I always felt like with Dell Dental, I felt like I was helping my dad with every customer. And with consulting, I, I really just feel the same way. I feel like I, I love it. I mean, why not? And I don't want to die with all this knowledge and it didn't help anybody, Right. So I really almost felt like, I mean, I love doing it because I've been through a lot of the things that lab owners haven't been through, a lot of things that they want to go through. Oh, sure. Right. And I'm, I'm good for that. So, yeah. And that's, and so I started doing some consulting in 19 and it, here I am almost five years later. So it's called eight and nine consulting. Where's that come from? Your two front teeth, eight and nine. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Never would have saw that coming. Yeah. That was the obvious that gets you, yeah. How did you start? I mean, did you just put together ideas and reach out to some labs or? Uh, okay. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> let's see. You know, I, I put a page on a website. I mean, I, I remember sitting on my sofa. I signed up for like GoDaddy. I mean, I'm, I was on my sofa. It was nine o'clock at night. I think. And, uh, I, you know, I had to put in a, a name when I signed up at GoDaddy. So I'm like, Oh, what am I going to do? Okay. Eight and nine, you know? And I just put up a page and then I got a phone call and then, you know, I got another phone call and that's how it started. Yeah. And I I actually, yeah, I remember because I did a couple here and there and then I had a big client where it was like, Oh, it wasn't just over the phone. We, we met in person and all these things. I bet that was my first big client, which was maybe four months in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another big client, maybe six, eight months in. So w- what exactly do you do? I mean, you go in there and you just figure everything they're doing wrong and help fix it. I mean, it's got to be a little bit more complicated than that. So the cool thing about it is, well, it's a little more complicated. Not for me, because I've been doing it a long time in terms of it's all the things that I've loved about starting my businesses, right? Sure. I, I like challenges. And what's cool about consulting is, generally people don't, they're not calling you because everything is going incredible, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. They're calling you because it's either a challenge you're having or an opportunity, to, opportunity they want to capitalize on. Um, so what I do is I kind of get a download of the business, right? So tell me about the business, how about your challenges? What are you thinking? What do you want to do? What have you done in the past, et cetera, stuff like that. I have to tell you, there's usually quite a bit of low hanging fruit. Okay. Because in a lot of cases, I'm going to say an overwhelming majority, and I'm not saying this in a negative way at all. It just happens to be the way the business is. Generally speaking, most labs have not professionalized or organized their selling process. So there's a lot of generally a lot of low-hanging fruit there in terms of putting together a sales plan, hiring 
uh, sales reps, identifying territories, setting up. Most subs don't have, I did a blog on it recently, a CRM. So setting up a CRM, training the sales reps on selling, things like that. You know, I'll give you a quick example. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people don't realize the value of a new customer, right? But, you know, what I explained to people, like we had uh, sales reps at my last company. And basically every 10 customers per month, every 10, that's called first time try. So I understand like they're not established as a new customer, but a first time try that didn't use you for something free, right? That they have a bona fide interest in using you because yep. they have a challenge with their current lab that they're trying to solve, right? They're a challenge or an issue. Basically, every what I do at the lab, the first thing I look at is what's your average statement value. So I'll look at their statements for the month and I'll say, okay, you know, the average of all the statements and for the listeners, I'll say, when you're doing this, you have to exclude the statements that only have a finance charge or statements that only have a remake or repair. But every statement that has at least one new product or service has to be included. And you divide the total value of all the statements by the total number of statements. And depending on what the lab offers, the types of products and things like that, you know, a kind of common number I see a lot is around $1,500 per month per doctor. Okay. Okay. That means $18,000 per year per doctor. That's including the doctor that sends you $200 a month and the doctor that sends you 5000 right? When yeah, you just yeah. take the average statement value. Well, if you land 10 new customers, 10 first-time tries per month, that's 120 per year. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if that means you're getting 120 first-time tries from people that can spend on average $1,500 or $18,000 a year with you. Well, 120 times 18000 a year is two point. $2 million. That's a pretty hefty number. <laughs> right. So depending on the lab, I'm not going to say what an average rep can do, but I had reps that were doing without giving away anything for free, no promo and, you know, doing it right. They were landing 12 new customers a month. Yeah. So that means you put, if they're at 10, that means every rep is bringing in $2.2 million of new opportunity per year. Now, not a lot of labs run a 50% gross margin, but I'd like them to, but let's say they did. That means that's $1.1 million a year in gross profit per year per rep, okay? That's a lot of money. Now, you don't keep it all. You know, there's maybe 70% retention, maybe a little lower, but you keep a lot of it. So, you know, if you can do seven, dollars $800,000 in gross margin, so a million and a half, million six, per rep per year, uh, that's good. So I like going in labs. I'll, I'll look at territories. I'll look at the density of the territory. So let's say they identify however many territories. We'll look to see what's the density. How many doctors are there per uh, you know, square mile, uh, per 10 miles, per 20 miles, to understand if the density supports foot power, right? You know, feet on the street. Sometimes you have a density that just doesn't support it. So we'll work to understand that. If it doesn't support foot power, we'll address those doctors another way. But if it does, I love hiring reps. I love it. So hiring reps, training reps, I'll go shadow them sometimes and and manage them for some of my clients. I hired 20 reps for my clients in one year alone, and I love it. So let me, let me kind of slide back a little bit. Not a lot of labs have sales reps, I imagine. I mean, it's probably right. a certain size lab and above before a lab even starts thinking about having sales rep. Right. Do, do you know about where that line is? Or do you believe no matter your size, everybody should be out there growing sales? Yeah, everybody should be. I know a lot of labs that just don't believe in sales rep, yeah. but do marketing, study clubs, CE events. Do you feel every yeah. lab should have a sales rep? hundred percent. Yes. I mean, there's almost no, ex- there's almost no exception, but keep in mind, are you going to sit there and wait for the next study club meeting to grow your lab? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm giving you an example, let's say my worst reps would do five to six new customers per month. Again, I want to make a distinction, no promos, nothing discounted, not giving anything away for free. Yep. If you're giving something away for free, that number could be 20 new customers per month. Okay. But we didn't do that. And so and it's just a different strategy. So the point is, why would you want to wait for the next trade show that's coming up 
to hope that there's enough floor traffic that enough people see you and inquire. When you have your own sales reps, you're getting your message out there. These are ambassadors of your brand. The reason most labs don't believe in sales reps is because they've never used them effectively. Yeah. Right? So they think the owner can manage the rep. Well, the owner knows nothing about doing this mm-hmm. in 99% of cases. They think that the supply company rep would be great for them. I've seldom seen that work. What, is that like bringing somebody in from the vendor side? Is that what yeah, you Yeah, I've or? seen that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, where they say, oh, you know, my my shine rep or my this rep. Well, well, your shine rep, you know, has a professional organization behind them. Yeah. They have strategically designed compensation plans, right? They have selling tools. You don't have any of that. Yep. So, you know, it's a little different. And then they'll make what I think is one of the biggest mistakes is they'll do, they'll design comp plans. You know, comp plans, I always say, you know, you pay for the behavior you want to see, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the big, I think, mistakes that a lot of companies make in comp plans for sales reps, and one of the reasons they don't work a lot is they'll do like 5% commission. So a base plus 5% commission. Yeah. Right. And on the surface, I guess it sounds like a good idea. You say, well, we all win together, right? The, yeah. The more you sell, the more we do. But they couple that with also giving the rep autonomy on price. So they'll say, hey, look, you know, here's our price list. You can go as low as this. You can go as high as this. Well, just use round numbers. Let's say you have something for $100 and the rep has $10 of discretion, mm-hmm. right? How long into the meeting of the doctor do you think it takes? for the rep to offer up that 10 bucks. Oh, pretty soon, I would imagine. Very soon. Well, the problem is, and so that becomes the only arrow in their quiver. So it's the opposite of a solution-based sell, which is what I love. But what this encourages is just selling on price. And they stop even thinking about uncovering prospect challenges, identifying ourselves as a solution to those challenges. And they just, they discount. Now, the funny thing is going back to the 5%. If the rep gets 5% and the rep discounts that product $10, the rep has only lost 50 cents. Yeah, which isn't much. The lab lost $10. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> if you think about that. But you gained a dentist that will probably leave you as soon as someone comes in for $3 less. <laughs> That's right. And along the way, by the way, when those $10, those are the 10 that would have gone to the owner. Yeah. You're not paying the, your, your team anything less to make the crown. You're not paying FedEx anything less to deliver it. You're not paying Shine anything less. No, it's going straight so, out of profit. Yeah. The only one not to get paid is the owner. Interesting. And like I said, the rep loses 50 cents. So the rep is happy. And it's nothing negative about the rep. I mean, I love a good coin-operated mentality. But that's what people figure out. Hey, I'll give away that $10 every minute, every day Hmm. um, in order to get the business. So, And you're right. And then they leave for the next $3. But I teach solution-based selling, which, you know, it's I didn't invent it, but I think I'm great at it. And it's something that uh, I love to work with with reps on is just really the art of uncovering the prospect challenge. Give me an example of that in in our industry for solution-based. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So basically, you know, you've seen reps walk in to a doctor's office or you've been with a rep or you might have done it and it's common. It's Full disclosure, I'm a sales rep for a dental lab. So this is hitting home. Yeah. (laughs) So the first thing we do is we go in with the folder of material. Oh, the handout. Yep. Yeah. And so here I am giving information to someone who doesn't know who I am. They didn't ask for it. And, you know, what are they going to do with it? Okay, great. Thank you. And as soon as I leave, it's either going in the trash or going in a pile or maybe to the doctor's desk, right? Yeah, yeah. But then even in my follow-up email, what what am I supposed to do? Hey, nice meeting you. Remember, and then I have 10 bullet points about the lab, right? That are just, I don't even know if any one of those target the issue that they're having. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine a world where I go in and I say, hey, I'm Dave. I'm your new rep from XYZ Dental Laboratory. Wanted to stop in, learn about what labs you're using and any challenges you might be having. Really quick and simple. And let me tell you, it's a real art. I'm saying it and you might be listening going, well, they're not going to tell me that. And nobody ever believes 
that it works, but I'm telling you, it's 99% effective. It, there's an art to it, as I mentioned earlier. My mind is just whirling right now. I mean, doesn't it depend on yeah. who you get to talk to? <laughs> you know? No, and that's the magic. And that's one of the other big fails that I see. So everybody wants to talk to the doctor, which is the biggest mistake. So now I say to the girl, you know, she says, oh, okay. And then you have to do, your audience can Google a strategic pause. Just let them talk. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of times as the rep, you want to just say things instead of just creating a space for people to answer. You know, you say that and they look at your card and they think and they say, well, you know, I think everything is good. You know, I, I don't know, you know, because they think they're just the front desk girl. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you say, okay, good. Well, you know, I was just wondering, I mean, obviously you're at the front desk and you see all the cases that go out and you take phone calls and you reappoint patients. And if you can fix one thing about all the labs you you work with, what do you think it would be? And you know, they, they pause and they say, well, do you offer XYZ product or do you do these or what's your turnaround time on X or what's your that? But whatever they ask or whatever they say, that's a buying signal. Yeah. That's a thing they need. Okay. And the girl at the front desk, I always tell my reps, one of the big mistakes is like they're talking to the girl at the front desk and then the doctor comes up to the front to ask her, you know, to get something or ask for something. And they immediately go look at, oh, doctor, oh, doctor. Oh, I've totally and, done that. <laughs> yeah. And now the girl at the front desk will never answer another question for you again. Right? Yeah. But, you know, like this, you know, it's almost, I hate to make the comparison, but like when I was single, if you're at a bar and you're talking to one girl and then her friend comes over and yeah, yeah, now I you don't talk you. to the first girl anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's very disrespectful. And what I tell people is, look, you don't need to talk to the doctor because if our goal is to uncover prospect challenges, the girl at the desk knows everything. Okay. Yeah. She knows when cases come late because she's the one that has to reschedule patients. She yeah, knows they're... remakes for the same reason. She knows how many cases they're doing a day because she's giving the cases. She's receiving the cases. She knows how many labs they use. She knows which labs they use. Right. Yeah. She knows what problems are happening because she overhears it. She, you know, people underestimate the front desk and they call the front desk the gatekeeper, but the front desk is so much more than that. Now, if I learn and I'm, you know, I have to say, I, I think I'm very good at it. And I do think there's an art to it, but if I learn that they're having problems with turnaround times or on-time performance or whatever it is, whatever it might be. Well, now my email is not going to be this long bulleted email with 30 things about us. My email is going to start with addressing the prospect challenge that they've stated. Now, even though you might only have info at whatever dental associates. Uh, that was going to be my address, next question. Front desk yeah. at. Yeah. Front desk at. I'm happy with that. Guess what? The doctor sees it. In overwhelming majority of instances, the doctor is at least you know automatically copied on that mailbox. Yeah, just to keep an eye on everything, yeah. Yeah, they just right. They just want to see. They want to keep their finger on the pulse of the business and how many new customer inquiries do we get or whatever it is. Or it'll get forwarded because I've addressed the main challenge. I started it with, "Hey, just a reminder, you know, we do X days or this and that or our expert team da da da." In one sentence and two sentences, I've hit on all the challenges she mentioned. And then I can take all the template stuff. Mm. Right? But I've hit on all those challenges in the first couple sentences. So when she gets that email, she will forward that to the doctor. Even if he's not already on, on the email box, that will get forwarded because I am now a path. I'm a solution to fixing a problem that she knows is an ongoing issue with our current labs. How soon are you sending this email? So, you know, when you use a CRM, again, I wrote a blog about it, but when you use a CRM, you can set up a thing to where you basically hit a button when you get into your car. I don't like to do that. I like to do it if you're going to, when you stop for lunch or at the end of the day or the next morning. Okay. You're basically sending 20 at a time. It's a little customization for most of them, but it takes, when you have the system and the CRM set up for it, it doesn't take a lot of time. Yeah. So it isn't the kind of thing where it takes forever and I've got to write a custom email for everybody. No. And really when you identify prospect challenges, it's really only about six or seven or eight that are going to be 95% of them, right? Like yeah. no one's coming out with something wacky out of left field. It, it happens, but that's probably the top six. So you start to learn those and I, and it gets very quick and easy to send those. I'm sure we could all name those top six. Yeah. yeah you know, it. yes. Yeah, but yeah. you know, what's really nice is kind of when they look at your card for a second and you don't interrupt their thinking and they say something like, do you offer X, Y, Z, you know? And I always 
when I'm doing training, I have like a 30 hour training, uh, sales training. And I have a whole segment on buying signals, right? Where I'll do like a lot of different things. And I'll say, okay, identify the buying signals. And, you know, basically most people will miss a lot of them. They think that the client has to say, can you send me boxes and scripts? Yeah. For that to be a buying signal, right? That's what they think. But really, <laughs> I know it's going to sound funny. The buying signal is just about anything that someone says to you, right? Because any question they ask you, they're asking for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you do this? What's your that on that? Do you offer web? Why do you think they're asking that? Because they don't need it? Because the current lab is doing it in a way that they currently want? No, they're asking because there's something about the way that they're getting it or not getting it now that isn't right. Yeah. So then you can start going deeper. And this is like a big part of my class. It's like, okay, well, yeah, we, we do do that. Why do you ask? Well, you know, da, 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 okay. I get a lot of, I'll go in there and, you know, do the little spiel. And then they'll be like, does your lab also take two weeks to do a denture? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, it seems like you're having a problem getting your dentures back on time. And then I'll jump right. in. And even with that, by the way, one other thing, and you're 100% right. So on turnaround time, and for all your listeners, you know, there's a big difference between turnaround time and on-time performance. So when mm -hmm. someone says to you, you know, do you also take two weeks, right? That doesn't mean that the lab they're using takes two weeks. It might mean that the lab that they're using says eight days, but that they're having delays. Yeah, it's usually they're missing the delivery date. Right. So that's my point. So in other words, I'd much rather in uncovering prospect challenges, they say, does your lab take two weeks? Okay. Great buying signal. Great. You know, you identified a challenge, but now I want to break it out into the subcategory of that challenge. I want to know, is it that they're not delivering according to the time that they say, you know, like that they're delaying the case? Because if you're delaying the case, if that lab is delaying the case, my in is a lot stronger. That means that they've scheduled the patient. They've got inconveniences now with the patient. You know, they've got all kinds of issues. They've got the girl who runs the, the lab shelf in the office getting yelled at because mm -hmm. the patient is in the chair and the case isn't. Yeah. Whereas if the lab they're using says they take two weeks and they're delivering it on time in two weeks, it's just different. Now it's just overall it takes too long, right? But those are two different challenges. I don't think that's usually what they mean. <laughs> and it's not. It's yeah. not. And I would say probably 70% of the time, 60, 70%, they do mean it's delays. But sometimes it's just that the lab takes too long, that they want two weeks and, you know, it, it's they just take too long. And it does happen. So the point is, if, if I know that the lab that they're currently using is having a lot of delays, and I see that there's four boxes behind this girl that I know are ready for a pickup, right? You know, some yeah. lab is coming in to pick those up. I'm like, hey, which one of those do you want to see get delayed? Just take the ones that are there. <laughs> yeah, but I want to know which one of the four boxes, because according to what you're telling me, the statistic, one or two of those boxes is going to be another delay that you're going to have to reschedule. Interesting. Make it real. Yeah, make it real, right? Make it very tangible. Like, it's going to be a delay that you're going to have to reschedule. <laughs> and, you know, it again, when I say it's art, you know, I can't stress that enough that it's not like you're just going in there and reading from a script. You know, you have to get a feel for the person and the and the everything and it's delivery, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, and sure. it's not always the same twice. Yeah. But, you know, they'll, they'll laugh at that. And that makes it real. Like, ooh, I, that, that is uh, Jessica, whoever in her mind, uh, uh, one of those will probably wind up delayed. And I better go check with the doctor. And I'm like, yeah, I can take those with me right now. You'd be surprised how many cases how often it's not a huge number but it's fun yeah to start you know you start documenting all your statistics right so among the statistics that it's kind of like a vanity statistic right you know how many times can i walk out with a case that's that's a fun one <laughs> yeah would you say a majority of the business that labs get is because other labs are screwing stuff up yeah 100 percent. yeah you know most labs, doctors choose a lab because they're the best of the worst. Yeah. Right? Like most labs aren't really well run and, you know, there are some delays and things like that. And I always say, look, there's three times a year that the doctor is throwing a lab pan against the wall, you know, mm -hmm. like just mad at their current lab. And you just want to be top of mind when that happens. 
top of mind or just timing it's got to be right well the, yeah but the timing won't always be right no yeah, but top of mind just in case timing isn't yeah so even if my timing isn't right i go in and they're not desperate and they're not having major challenges or whatever okay fine no problem but as long as i say top of mind so like you're setting up drip you know kind of drip campaigns in your crm and things like that you know and and you're you're touching on them right so you have them set up in terms of frequency as a sales rep when i set up the crms it monitors when was the last check-in, what was the customer sentiment. So we rank the customer sentiment. We rate the customer sentiment in possibly being interested in using us. How close are we to that timing event? And then it's setting up rules. Like we follow up every this often. We're in person every this often. Email every this often, whatever it is. So whether it's in person or, or not, we're staying top of mind all the time. How many touches do you think it takes before you become top of mind? I mean, you can't just drop off a pamphlet and hope it stays on top of the pile on the desk. I'll tell you what, you cannot drop off a pamphlet and hope it stays on the pile. But if you put a little bit of thought, care, and energy into it, and you address it from a solution-based selling perspective, you know, three, three visits yeah. in the course of two months, yeah, three, four in two months. And what winds up happening is, you know, you start, you go out there in the field in a very thoughtful way, like I'm saying, you're documenting all your interactions, which is very important. So you have copious notes. You know, I tell my reps, like when I'm managing reps for clients, I'm like, look, remember when you write your notes in the CRM, you're not writing them for you, you're writing them for me. Mm. Okay, I need to be able to go look in that CRM. And I want to be able to feel the weather. That's how good I want those notes to be. I want to know everything about that office and that interaction. Wow. And like, well, it takes forever. No, it doesn't. Use voice dictation on your way back to the car. Yeah. I tell them, use voice dictation on the way back to the car. Fridays, we do a half day in the field. And the second half of the day, go through all your notes for the week and make sure all your punctuation, you know, when you're doing voice dictation, the punctuation isn't always perfect. Got it. Check it at the yep. end of the day, but also at the end of the week. Um, I like to do another check. And... Make it perfect, but you can voice dictate paragraphs very quickly. Yeah. And then at the end of the week, you can kind of touch it up and make sure it looks perfect. End of the day and then end of the week. So, you know, when you are very thoughtful and strategic about the sales, you'd be surprised at the difference it makes. And I tell people, and I'll give you a quick analogy that I always use, like Tom Brady is obviously, maybe for many, one of, one of my favorite football players, one of my favorite athletes. Sure. And he's committed to what he does, right? And his work ethic is, you know, unparalleled, you know, just as an athlete. And so one of the analogies I like to use is, let me ask you a question I say to the reps. And sometimes these are experienced reps, sometimes they're not. I say, you look at Tom Brady, I said, for every hour he spends on the field on Sunday, how much time do you think he spent in practice? Oh, how much time do you think he spent? Yeah. And then not just practice on the field with the team, but then he goes home puts his kids to bed, and then he goes into his office and he watches film. Yeah. I said, if you add up, and then he eats right. Let's not even include that part. But, you know, I said, so basically, even if you want to say 40 hours a week, which I'm sure it's far more than that, but just in the on season, if you want to say he's practicing 40 hours a week and it's probably more like 70, okay, that means that for every hour he's on the field, he's got 40 hours of practice, okay? Mm -hmm. Now I tell my reps, when you open the door to go in that doctor's office, that's your game time. That's you walking onto the field. How much time have you spent preparing for that? Well, I looked at their website in the car before I walked in. <laughs> right. If that, <laughs> if that, you're 100% right. And it isn't just that. It's role playing. I will role play with either, like as a manager, I'll role play with my reps. You know, I'll take certain instances. I'll read notes. And I'll say, okay, what, what's your approach on this? And I'll tell them, I say, okay, let's role play it. Mm. I'll be Stephanie at the desk. You're you. Let's go. And my rule in role playing is you have to stay in character. You know, you can't. Oh, okay, good. I'll do. Once you're in character, you're in character. You know, you'd be surprised. The first time around on the role play, the rep isn't always happy. Well, guess what? If you don't do it with me now, what do you think you're going to do when you get there? Yeah. Okay. So you role play. I say this, they say that. I say this, then they say that. And then I say this, this, and that. Oh, wait a minute. I don't want them to say that. So back up three steps. I got to say this. You know, Put in the practice before you go. It makes a lot of sense, you know, because you get... It makes a lot of sense. You, you get stuck doing your little spiel. Yeah. It's not like it's scripted, but it just becomes the way you walk into an office. And heck, if I, you know, it works and then it doesn't work. But I'm sure there's a better way and you don't know until you practice something else. 
A hundred percent. And I'll tell you something else. You know, I talked about uncovering prospect challenges. Well, the key is listening, which a lot of people don't do either. They're very busy waiting to say something, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about the strategic pause. And I'll say this for your listeners out there. There's a book I read a long time ago by Leo Lowndes. I probably read it 20 years ago. And she talks about, you know, the art of listening. And she says something in there that I teach in my classes today. She says, look, she says, when you're listening to somebody, so when my reps are out there listening to these prospects, I want you to listen. Like you're going to have to teach a class on what that person said. Uh. And not just what they said, but what they meant. Right. Yeah. And that's where it doesn't become what you just said. It doesn't become mundane. Nothing becomes mundane because when she says it takes two weeks, I have to talk about when I go next door in that class to teach about that 12 minute engagement. What did she mean by that? Why did she say that? Oh, she only asked about it for this product. What about other products? Yeah. You Interesting. See? I love this. Listen like you're going to have to teach a class on the subject. David, this is some great stuff, man. I'm glad you like it. We're coming up on an hour real quick. So let's let yeah. our listeners understand how do they get a hold of you and what sort of service do you offer to labs? Sure. So they can get a hold of me. I have a website, 8 and 9 consultingcom That's the okay. easiest way. Yeah. And my phone number is on there. Everything is on there. It's a, it's a great starting point. Uh, my email address is david.lesh at 8 and 9 consultingcom You know, that's the easiest way. Yeah. In terms of what services, obviously, I love everything related to sales, and I love everything related to profitability. So I, as much as I love sales, nothing excites me more than improving the profitability of a lab. And we'll have to do, if you'd like, another episode just on that, because- I kind of do. I'm as passionate, if not more. Yeah. This hour went way too quick. <laughs> yeah. And believe me, we get into the profitability piece and all the mistakes that I see labs making. I tell labs, look, on the average lab, I can probably add 10 to 12 points, not 10 to 12% improvement, 10 to 12 full points of profitability to the bottom line, which in a lot of cases is all the profitability. So they're at break even and I'm adding 10 to 12 points. That is a fortune. Wow. Okay. And I had labs, you're talking about $100,000 or more per million dollars in sales. That is a fortune and no, no one believes it. I do it through a combination of price optimization, improving cost of goods sold, the combination of which increases gross margin and reduces break even. But 10 to 12 points is pretty normal, uh, which is a fortune. If some labs I can do 15% or more 20, if you're not profitable at all, I can identify why and dramatically change that. And even the best run labs, and I'm talking the best, I can probably still improve gross margin, not gross margin, net uh, EBITDA, seven full points. And people can't believe it. And then I show them and they're blown away. Wow. So we can do a whole episode on that as well. You know? Yeah. This is great stuff, man. I loved it. I can't believe the hour's already gone. Yeah, it was quick. And I've, I've actually picked up a lot. I think the next office I'm going to walk into, it's going to be a little different. And I appreciate that. I love it. Do you use a CRM now? Uh, we do sort of, I mean, I'm not going to say it's not uh, what's that big one Salesforce or nothing, but, uh, right. Yeah, it works. But yeah, I mean, just mentality, I think is, is a yeah. big change. Right. So mentality, but mentality has to be met with tools. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's very much like a technician. If you think about it, you can be a real artist uh, in terms of being a technician, right. But having the right tools makes a big difference also. Sure. And so, you know, tools that improve your efficiency, tools that improve your follow-up without making it look like everything is AI and template-driven and cold, right? And that's what so, I'm afraid of with some emails. Yeah. Copy and paste, copy and paste, copy. No, no, no. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. In fact, you know, I'll tell you, first of all, you know, I've trained, like I said, a lot of people in this stuff. But, you know, first of all, really, your email should never have bullet points, Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it should be a quick and dirty email addresses the challenge, you know, identifies you as a, a solution and why if it's more than five sentences, it's way too much. Oh, yeah. I try to stay brief, but I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Because the minute they open something with bullet points, it's already a turnoff. Right. So basically five sentences or so with one line break and, uh, and that's it. Yeah. Attach your scripts, you know, your lab scripts and things like that. Interesting. Yeah. But I'd love to do a follow-up on financials yeah. as well. 
Absolutely. Let's make a plan for it, David. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on to talk about sales repy stuff. I think a I lot of labs it. don't utilize it enough. And the yep. ones that do probably don't do it well enough. So it's interesting. Yeah. Well, this was a blast for me. So I certainly enjoyed talking with you. And I hope your listening audience gets a lot of value out of it. Absolutely. We appreciate it, David. Thank you so much. Thanks, Elvis. Have a great day. Do the same. Talk with you later. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks. Bye. A big thank you to David for coming on our podcast and sharing some of the many things that you have picked up over the many years that you've been in the industry. I am, of course, really sorry that I missed it. I was busy doing something that's not as important as this podcast, but must have been at the time. (laughs) Even though I'm not in sales, I do talk to a lot of dentists and assistants on the phone, and I go chair side. I basically do solution-based sales, even though I didn't know it. I know there are some people here at night that could definitely take away some really good selling tips after this episode, as we are sure other labs will as well. If you want to get in touch with David and hear more about how he can help your lab, head over to this episode's show notes or 8and9consulting.com. That's numbers 8 and 9, as in your 8 and 9 centrals, consulting.com. Awesome. What a great episode. Appreciate it, David. Thank you. All right, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Have a good one. See ya. Have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, winter boots, even though it's 80 outside, it's still warmer. (laughs)